Shalom, shalom. I'm Keats Ross, and that was Dakota Slim, my Audiomancy Project song, Fess Up, Get Low, recorded some years back, and I'm still figuring out a way to release it. It might be on the upcoming audio sigil. But anyway, I just wanted to pop in here before this wonderful Deep Sea Diver episode with Anthony Tyler, one that was recorded from a live stream released a few weeks ago. And I know it's taken me a while to get the wraparound for the audio podcast. I'm still figuring out the rhythms of my schedule and uh, releasing these episodes, especially these pre-recorded ones and liminal streams. I did want to say before this wonderful episode, which I'm sure everyone will get a kick out of, I had a little bit of an issue with my mic on the live stream. And, you know, that's the uh, wonderful dark nature of doing things live, where my mic volume might have been a little too clippy. So I tried to do my best to fix it. I don't think it's that uh, distracting, but I did want to apologize. And you know, this back end that it takes to create uh, the, the audio podcast from live streams is something I'm still figuring out. And, uh, you know, amongst just finding my rhythms in this new place and this new career, and honestly, to be kind of forthwith about it, have been kind of fighting some mental health things as of late. Mainly just stresses about me not having the mental acuity and the uh, fortitude to finish um, projects and creativity that uh, I have been kind of sitting on, especially in regards to pre-recorded episodes and live streams. So I'm still working it out. I ask that you just be patient with me. Um, amongst other things, I have been working on Zozobra, which is my first nonfiction book. And I have been working on the audio sigil, which I think I can announce should be out August 21st for digital download. It took me long enough. You know, a friend, uh, I was talking to a friend once about all of these impending projects I have and relaying just kind of the stresses with it. And he funny, uh, he, he remarked, he said, oh, there goes Keats and Scope. He doesn't know Scope. And that's always sat with me because I make a lot of, I think, announcements and promises that I do end up releasing. I always finish things. It just takes me a little longer than most. I'm not looking to be my bloody Valentine here and you know, take four years in the studio crafting a masterpiece. I just really want to get into a rhythm with my health, with my work, with my creativity, and I'm still finding that routine, uh, especially battling, you know, the other, which is this brain chemistry that can be oppressive at times. So thank you all for listening. Um, you can still find stuff. I do still post on Patreon at patreon.com slash pragmagic. And uh, be on the lookout uh, for some chapter drafts of Zozobra and some other fun stuff, videos. We have a tour diary in there from when we changed places. And um, yeah, sorry, I'm off the cuff here. Nothing scripted. But I just wanted to say thank you for everyone that's listening. And, you know, don't be a stranger. Uh, please continue to reach out to me. I know it might be a little bit late on getting back to some people. No, it's not you. It's me. I'm just having a 
a little bit of a rough patch right now, but it seems like it's everything's starting to finesse. Um, and I think that's it. I will be here doing my thing. Um, haunt on. First, I'll start with a quote, and this is from Viktor Frankl. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any set of circumstances, to choose one's way. And that's a quote I hold dear, and coincidentally, it appears in Anthony Tyler's manuscript of Dive Manual. Dive Manual uses the framing of deep sea exploring to compare theology, esotericism, psychedelia, psychology, and philosophy into a heavy tome, but a wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, primer for those that have an itch, an inkling, and a need to begin their journey inward. I've come across many primers before, but Anthony seems to be of the time, tearing on that tight rope of skepticism, research, and phenomena. So slither hither, weirdos and witches. And welcome to Anthony Tyler on this Pragmagic Liminal Stream. Yay. Thank you very much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. It's been a while. I think we started talking. I looked at back, you know, when our first correspondences and it's, you know, that's just my year. Man, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, yeah, it's been a weird one for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I can relate. Um, but yeah, you know, um, I, uh, I've been keeping busy and... Uh, I figured uh, we'd surely make it happen sooner or later. And here we are. So plenty to talk about. That's for sure. Uh, and mean, uh, yeah. thank you very much for reading the book. I appreciate that. Of course. Yeah. It's uh, I, I know the, the pay or the, the manuscript you sent me was 223 pages, which happens to be my birthday not to be a little woo about it, but I was like, all right. Oh yeah, that's right. You, um, you're February 23rd, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. 22nd. So Pisces. Ah. Yeah. There you go. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I was going to ask you, too, because, you know, with all the symbolism, you know, of water and Neptune and all of that, you know, oh, yeah. heavy symbolism within the book, I I, I crossed it out. I, I put on the list of questions, ask him if he's a Pisces. And I was like, no, that's lame. <laughs> no one. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it uh, it. It can it has its tropes, but astrology, as you know, we'll probably bring up at least a little bit. It's definitely it has at least uh, some sort of value. Some people throw the baby out with the bathwater there. Yeah, you know, I'm I think I, I have a fickle resolve when it comes to matters such as, you know, astrology. I, I would say more so about the popular consciousness of astrology and, mm. you know, um, you know, terror, 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 uh, and all of that, you know, it, it's, um, it's more so I, 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 how do I put this? I, I get, I get uh, swayed the other way, the more and more I see, you know, it being used uh, to certain degrees. Mm -hmm. And I know that's no qualm against the actual study or the praxis. It's more of a qualm against how it's being used right mm -hmm. absolutely yeah uh and that's a that's a 
you know, um, I don't mean to be too like adversarial, but that's kind of a line that I draw in the sand a little bit uh, against like new age and things because, you know, there, and it's not a wholesale line in the sand. Um, there are, there are plenty of people who just, who use that descriptive term new age for themselves and they are very well intended and, and um, they can be well-informed, but it's, as I, you know, I've said in the past, like there's just, there's no control methods to new age. It's uh, it's just kind of copy. Uh, it's like choose your own narrative and that can be good. There's an aspect to that, that um, I definitely champion, but there has to be some sort of, um, yeah, control methods. And for me, uh, that really all goes to um, empiricism being the the beginning of the trail of breadcrumbs, not being the end. I, you know, I, uh, Amen. It, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, you can find all sorts of different, uh, metaphysical philosophical ideas that you can, uh, that ring true in a variety of ways. But then there's the question of how that, how you bring that back down to your practical life and what the practical implications of those things are. And, uh, that's, those are quintessential pieces of, like a real what you would call spiritual discipline that are so often lost in new age. Um, so, yeah. so, and the, the book in many ways dive manual was, it's certainly, it's definitely a primer. Um, and, and it's almost, um, you know, it's that middle point between skeptic and um, open-mindedness because uh, you know, a good part of any researcher that's really trying to get to the bottom of something um wants to look into the opposing viewpoint of things of course so, yeah. yeah so um and but also there were certain things like so that's where you know the healthy skepticism and empiricism comes in but then there were other things that i wanted to tackle like things that i have used before and i will whenever i you know feel the the whenever i desire to but like for instance, I haven't owned a tarot deck in a while, um, and hmm. but I've uh, I've tinkered with it before, um, and you know, as I and I, I've done research into it. But uh, and a lot of the reason that I wanted to tinker with it and do research into it is because I, um, you know, the best way to put it, you know, just looking into the standardized bullet points of what someone would consider western like esotericism today and yeah see, you know where where what to sift through because there's a difference between as i'm sure you're well aware uh dogma and tradition and mm -hmm. i really wanted that was big that's a big part of it using the empiricism and occam's razor to, to separate the value of tradition from the the superstitions of dogma and things like that yeah well i mean yeah obviously i'm a bit more well i, I live in that you know contradictory you know medium of it too you know i can it, it really depends and people don't want to hear how fluid that that medium is you know i think what sells tickets Absolutely. is certainty right 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 and, yeah and like the agnosticism of all this stuff it, it gets wishy-washy and you sound like a flagpole sitter you know <laughs> like yeah or a fence sitter i should say and um yeah and it's uh it just gets maddening um thinking about the uh, i don't know like the vitriol that either you know empiricist because you can be an empiricist uh in either aspect right there's there's extremes of either um you know source of uh ingenuity when it comes to you know feeling this 
woo or whatever you call it or you know investigating this woo whether it's you know you're um absolutely against it and have made the decision that you know this is matters of the material and not the ethereal right Mm-hmm. So, and it, it goes either way. And that's something that I've been meditating on a lot about recently because, uh, which is funny too, because reading your book, it kind of reinvigorated parts of it for me because I go through washes myself, you know, um, I'm a bipolar believer, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, I feel you. I feel and you. like it goes, you know, I'm still trying to construct ideas and, uh, you know, research about my own phenomena that I've experienced, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm pretty, uh, you know, forthright in saying that doubt is a good thing, you know, to have. And I come from the church of doubt or like the idea that Robert Anton Wilson, that supreme agnosticism, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, but at the same time, you know, you build pillars of things that have helped you throughout your life. And that, these pillars hold up you know this cathedral of belief in any personality and any person so when you're continuously smashing them down and building them back up it's hard to you know kind of move forward and what i wanted to ask you about this book i think you mentioned it a little bit about you know finding yourself within the search when uh the uh individuation becomes too intense right young mentioned something about that where he said it can be bad for you too to be too extreme with it mm, right right um yeah well that is a bit of that's definitely a warning that jung gives um and it because it's just a classical you know it can be summarized uh, as don't bite off more than you can chew and you can break down a lot of the um the more allegorical or psychological components from there and it, i mean it really all goes down to you know there's four major components uh to the psyche from the union standpoint i mean and therefore by proxy being found in um, any given metaphysical discipline, because that's what Jung was trying to do, as I'm sure most of your listeners are aware of. It's a lot of this, uh, not generalizations, but finding the Occam's razor, the like the resolute commonalities. Um, so, um, you know, the, with the whole uh, Jungian sentiment, there is the uh, the four components. There's the the divine father. There's the divine mother the the logos or the persona and then the shadow and the shadow is what um individuation largely deals with and uh um you know it all gets jung was very alchemical um and i'm very uh i'm very hermetically influenced i'm i have a deep appreciation for alchemy um and you know it really boils down to doing that um getting your hands dirty um, with the you know the shadow work as people like to say so that you can you can um, draw deeper more resolute paths of communication within your own psyche and uh, get closer to that that proverbial sacred alchemical marriage of opposites in your psyche sure yeah but you know i guess yeah it parsed or lamented uh you know two extremes of that i've definitely had times in my life where shadow work just enveloped me it was you know what i mean it was a bit harmful Mm -hmm, i think mm -hmm. in the construct of you know 
fixing the self, quote unquote. I hate that word for it, but um, you know, and I think especially too when it comes to you know mental diagnoses and you know uh, communing with brain chemistry as the other. There's just it's it's got to be tempered so much. I I just mm. really don't think. You know, I, that's why I like dive manual because it gives a, it gives a step-by-step of, you know, the preparation, say, if you were a diver, like what you would need to get ready to do this, you know, and it's a good framing in the book for it. I appreciate um, it. Yeah. Cause like d- jumping right in, you know, to the deep blue sea without, you know, prep, you're going to get the bends, you know, uh, <laughs> forever. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> And um, I think that's, um, you know, to, just to like articulate the shadow and um, some of the dangers. Um, it doesn't have to be dangerous, but it certainly can be, um, you know, the, the, the classic opposite ends of the shadow, because that entails all that which you are not readily processing um, consciously, but right. it's going through your psyche and therefore uh, likely that the the stream that connects to the reservoir of the collective consciousness, so to speak. And, um, yeah. um, so neither, neither. Right. Um, um, so with the shadow, the two opposite, um, uh, the, the, the two different sides of the coin, best examples being, uh, Mephistopheles, the, uh, uh, in the, you know, Gautier's classic rendition of Faust and, um, and then, Virgil, the uh, the Roman poet that guides Dante through hell and purgatory and hands him off in heaven. Um, so, um, and th- those are interesting because you know Virgil, the good guy, um, but the implication there being that he's not quote unquote divine. You know, he's not in heaven. But um, and then Mephistopheles is a demon throughout the the story arc. But important to remember that the the context is key in the framework at the beginning is Mephistopheles as uh, this, this like doubting, but respectful angel in the court of heaven. And sure. then, it, and then uh, this, uh, this uh, sort of book of Job uh, echo, like reminiscent thing uh, unfolds. And that's how, and in many ways, the story of Faust is like the opposite of the book of Job. Um, and yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, uh, it's shadow work. Very interesting. I think, um, um, there's a lot to be said about it. And, uh, I think that that's why, uh, Lovecraft as well is, is so endearing, uh, because it really articulates, uh, in a, in that more literary artistic with that literary artistic license, it really articulates how your fears can attract greater things. And, um, yeah, you know, it's about the anchor of humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's important you know. to, you know, it's physics of the psyche. You got to take it step by step like you would build a house or or go set sail and go on a dive trip. Right. Or so, build a cathedral in the mind. Right. With absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. And so, yeah, the, the real danger is just, you know, in in the allegory itself, like what's the point of building a house if you're not going to do it step by step? And then what's the point of going out to sea to dive if you're just going to drown out there? <laughs> yeah. So I'm just telling somebody it's on YouTube. Uh, cool. Michelle, um, I I really like the uh, the Freemasonic allegory. You know, it gets into conspiracy theory and things, but I think uh, sometimes people forget that uh, there are. You know, we could talk about upper echelons and their socialite so clubs, but what I wanted, 
Yeah. yeah what what I think, you know, was uh, so revealing to me about, you know, the allegory, you know, of Dante's Inferno that you were using, but you do this comparative uh, folklore, mythology, theology thing throughout, you know, the book where you are comparing the Sephiroth, you know, with, with, um, you know, planets and you're comparing, you know, the different, it's just, it's, a, I love it too. It's in that Campbellian way of we, you're, you're bridging, uh, you're just bridging so many different aspects and especially, you know, going through uh, almost like a folkloric stance too, because bringing in Dante's Inferno, I would say was, um, it was, it was left field for me because I err on folklore, you know, being sort of a, um, you know, a heavy syrup of, you know, theology, philosophy, all of that, but I rarely see it being used in that way. So I thought that was really cool. What, what uh, inspired that? I think just over time, trying to parse through the commonalities I saw without generalizing things, um, you know, like common denominators and fractions. Right, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, over time, you know, the, the trees of life and death um, were the first uh, big light bulbs for me. And uh, because the tree of life, I think it helps you understand the tree of life a lot more that Kabbalistic model um, when you get the juxtaposition of the tree of death and the tree of death is something that I was a little surprised. You could definitely find material on it out there now and it slowly trickles out more and more, but it's not a really widely covered topic. And I think it's very interesting and useful um, because it really is, you know, it's kind of like uh, yin and yang on hallucinogens. Sure. Um, and, yeah. uh, um, and that's where after, mulling over that for long enough um, and just kind of looking through different things. Um, I really, and being interested in the divine feminine component of the, of the divine comedy and uh, Dante's travels, it really just kind of dawned on me that, um, and, and, and then, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm by any means the only one to um, for sure draw the correlates, yeah. but I don't think it's been very explored very much at all. No. Um, yeah. And I think it's really worth um, uh, it's worth mulling over because the more I almost like looking into it, I almost expected right off the bat, the way back when um, trying to draw the correlates between the trees and uh, the map of heaven and hell and almost expecting it to not line up and just being wishful thinking. But it was like all lined up very well. And of course, it only makes sense because so much of the other symbolism lines up as well. You can tell that at least in some sense, uh, Dante was definitely well, very well studied and he knew he, he was aware of other uh, predecessor traditions and things. So, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, uh, more of a, would you consider yourself more of a hermeticist or just, that's just a label or is that uh, something that you feel comfortable with calling mm -hmm. yourself? There's a there's a handful of um, traditions that I hold close to my heart, okay. but I don't um, I don't I find it hard to fully jump in the boat of one. Yeah, uh, because also there is, um, it, you know, I take into account influences and things. There's certain overlap. Um, yeah, in, uh, in more cases than other. Yeah, in more cases than others sometimes, but always in some ways, and so. 
you know, I was raised Christian, so I appreciate the esoteric qualities of that. Um, but I, I just couldn't call myself a Christian uh, because of um, all the baggage and the limitations of it, um, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so hermeticism, you know, a lot of Christians forget that historically speaking, there were a lot of prominent, um, uh, you know, uh, church philosophers and, and things that uh, considered Hermes a uh, like a pre-Christian prophet. Right. Um, so so there's a lot of carry over there. And then, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate Gnosticism a lot. And, um, you know, my great grandpa was a 32nd degree Freemason of the Scottish Rite. So and Masonry, some of the uh, the respectable parts of it are a lot of uh, it, it being steeped in that sort of metaphysical uh, Gnostic sort of tradition in many ways. Yeah. And uh, but I also really love um, Buddhism and Taoism. So, you know, I like and, and I, I really see the uh, the correlates between all those. They kind of work synonymous synonymously in my brain in many ways even though they serve different components uh certainly but um you know and uh, a lot of that kind of like bottom line is um it could be boiled down to a lot of chaos magic because i'm very sure. interested in the mechanics of belief at large yeah i try even now to um separate myself from the title of chaos magic you know as like i say the punks did when it became kind of three chords and spikes, you know what I mean? Right, but, right. Uh, it's a, it's an all-encompassing thing, and it's hard to argue, you know, anarchic magic not being chaos magic, especially if you're being, um, you know, reverent to the tools that you're using. You're not just kind of freely, you know, grabbing this and that, just and uh, not expect respecting the culture and the, you know, the pathos with the history that comes with the different things. So I, I get that for sure. Yeah. It's funny how, you know, I don't know. There's something so uber modern. I often think that uh, you, when I was younger, I didn't think I was made for these times. And then, you know, when I started working within magic and theology and different, you know, practices, I was like, Oh, thank God I'm in this time. <laughs> you know, this yeah. Time. Right. Right. I know. <laughs> or I, feel. Goddess, I should say. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Oh, I asked about the hermeticism thing too because yeah i just i felt like it was an overall oeuvre uh from the book uh, i know you talk about it in the book too it definitely but, um, strongly hermetically influenced yeah it, so. yeah and i i always enjoy that you know uh, uh i i have a deep appreciation for the corpus and all that stuff you know but um i wanted to ask if that was like what pulled you in because i'm non-linear as you can tell and we're going to go back a little early to, you know, what prompted Dive Manual, what your journey was like. And specifically, I wanted to ask you about the, was it Beaujolais yeah. Lodge of yep. the Blue Moose? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, those are fond memories there. Um, so, yeah, what prompted it is, well, you know, I think like how a lot of people's interest in this stuff starts. Um, it's always usually always from an early age. Like I, I've, I remember I have a really vivid memory of being in like second grade or something and going to the elementary school library and just happenstantially uh, uh, coming across um, like beginner books, like a little older than my, uh, my demographic but for like fourth fifth grade or something like that talking about Loch Ness Monster and um 
and uh and ufos and uh you know mysticism and things and god bless god is bless um the uh the the person crazy enough to make beginners children's books about those things because oh my god scholastic yeah fair oh every every uh scary stories to tell in the dark every yeah every ufo little book totally uh, yeah i actually and, uh, got caught stealing those books by the way <laughs> when i was a kid so sorry to interrupt thing to steal no no <laughs> sweat um, um so but as i got older i was always interested in philosophy and then um i ended up was my dad is actually a detective and uh so being nice you know there's their old that's there's bless excuse me that there's that old saying about um um how polarizing um preachers children and cops children can be and Mm. uh and yeah so i was kind of like that rebellious like quote unquote free spirit um and so he ended up sending me to military school for six months where i ended up graduating high school a little early and yeah that was very that was actually and some might say it's my Paisian nature because mm-hmm. the because of the regimentedness and the overt military nature of it, um, it really actually forced me, um, which I'm very thankful for, to go very deep inward. And I was able to you know read as much as I wanted in my free time. So I read a lot, and I had a mentor there, who's uh, someone still very near and dear to my heart. Like one of the definitely the closest mentor I ever had. Um, in terms of like development and things aside from like my own father and family. Um, and uh, he goes, um, he's been given the nickname. It's not his uh, nickname. He came up with himself, but it stuck for a long time. Uh, Bald monk. And he's a very interesting guy. He's like this, uh, this old school dude from, uh, from Brooklyn at the dawn of hip hop and uh, the, uh, a black dude that became a cop and he's retired now. And he's very much into Taoism and, um he's like a kung fu sensei and uh he was my mentor in military school and he would give me a book a week he got to see me an hour a week and they gave me taoism and a lot of eastern metaphysics and things and then after that um um it really really getting out of military school to you know the the horses were off to the races um and and then other things start happening you know like uh some unexplainable things i definitely have a handful of like weird left field stories throughout my life um that have just further enveloped me in these things um some of which being dreams and even some um ufo uh sightings in alaska and you know there was uh, one period in time i was like 19 I, before the refugee crisis in America and all the flooding coming in, um, I made good friends with an Iraqi refugee. Um, and that was, that was fascinating. I got to know him really well for a few months. So there's a lot of exposure to like opposing viewpoints and a lot of different concepts like early on. And, you know, I've just, I've yeah. always been in it, man. Here no, I am. Similar, very similar too. I wanted to ask, um, you know, because dive manual, I feel is it's it's very like academic in the way that it's laid out. You know, I've worked as you know a journalist for many years and stuff. I I, I can read when somebody's had you know like the proper academic layout. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I appreciate it. I try. Um, so like, where did you did you go to school? Uh, somewhere like what what was that? Like? Um, 
I, you know, I've dabbled in college and I, <laughs> That's plan what I on, yeah, yeah, <laughs> dabbled. Yeah. Yeah. I think I may go back for a communications degree at some point, um, like at least an associates or something, but really I got, um, lucky in a sense, there's a, there's a website that some may, uh, that might ring a bell for some people. I'm not affiliated with it anymore. Um, but it, uh, it was where I cut my teeth and it's, um, it was journalism, in, uh, independent, nonpartisan journalism at the, uh, the last American vagabond. And, um, nice. Yeah. That still floats around quite a bit. And, um, you know, I don't know what all Ryan, the editor talks about these days, uh, completely, but I know Ryan personally, I haven't talked to him in a little while, but, um, I could say that he's a very studious individual and, um, he, he kind of took me under his wing for a little bit when I was like 19, 18, I started, uh, dabbling in the vagabond and he, he would, um, um, I would post articles there and we had a good, that was also like a bit of a writing journalistic mentorship for me. Cause he had more experience, a lot more, he's just a grown ass man. I'm 25 mm -hmm. now. Right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, um, he, uh, we, we had a good working rapport where, he would send something back and say like, maybe work on this and this. And, and then I would, I would really work on it. And, and that was a good thing for me. And that website, it's, uh, it's taken off even more now, but we even received some traction there while I was there. And that, um, I, that, but so that was also politics, but, uh, they really right. uh, encouraged me to get into, uh, metaphysics and philosophy and things. And then eventually as it, as that website got further and further into politics, it was just, it was time to amicably uh, part ways as my brain started to fill with enough material sure. where I had to write a book. So I got to tell you the parallels between us are, you know, intense in that, you know, if you look at the bullet points of our lives, it's obviously not the military school, even though I have family that is military, but uh, yeah, cutting your teeth at I, mine was disinfo.com. Oh, okay. Esoterracana, okay. you know, Awesome. Years ago, a few years ago, I guess now years ago. Jesus, it's crazy how time. How lies. old are we? Yeah, no, good lord. But uh, yeah, it's interesting too because I, you know, you what I loved about Dive Manual, and I'll say this all the time. That's like the most lazy way to introduce a new topic. You know what I loved about? It's like there's a lot of things I loved about it, um, but one was the the framing of it was very romantic in a way and you have this continuous story um about kind of like interpersonal conflict within yourself about you know a relationship that you had with somebody yeah. and that was why i was joking you know i was like okay well you know the romantic in me sees that and is like i i get you i hear you you know and that's why i was joking earlier about like is this guy a pisces you know <laughs> ah yes yes 100 percent. yeah um yeah. Yeah, I, uh, um, that is truly, um, everything described thus far was really all the building blocks. And then this, um, experience, this relationship was the, the major tipping point. I was, uh, I'm telling you through, down the hill. through, you know, they always say through desperation, through duress, whatever we, you know, people find these things and that. That could be a, a salvo for most, you know, it can be uh, a deepening gyre for a lot of others, but yeah, like interpersonal relationships and relationships that I've had throughout the years have definitely been benchmarks about 
you know, how deep I'm getting into myself, mm-hmm. let alone like how one interacts with the rest of the world. Right. And like interpersonally through, you know, common connections. And um, yeah, so it just it really resonated with me, you know, uh, you being pretty like blunt in the book about, you know, parts of you were jealous, you know, about certain things happening. And, you know, you had a very sound I don't know if I guess my question is at that time, did you run through these lists of questions or did you have to learn those and went back and, you know, studied how you reacted? Um, it was very much a trial and error figure out as I go. Uh, there was yeah. a bit of a, a hurriedness to it. And um, um, I think that's uh, that's why the, among other reasons, I wanted to go with some sort of adventurous motif, like a like setting sail and diving, because right. it's uh, used both. Yeah, I think pretty fluidly. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, because it is, it it it's something that, um, you know, like even if you prepare for those sorts of adventures, one thing you kind of have to prepare for, paradoxically, as much as you can, is what you can't prepare for. You just got to keep that yeah. slipper of yourself ready for the unexpected type thing. And um, um, yeah, the, uh, you know, I go into it in dive manual and th- that tipping point um, was really a, a dream I had of, uh, of this woman some months before I met her. And it's, um, you know, without going into semantics, it's, essentially impossible for me to have ever even like heard her name before um and yeah. uh and and the more often i've talked to people about that i can't control that i'm not saying i can i can uh willfully have dreams of the future or anything but it seems to be a fairly common thing like to, it, it, degrees of separation you more than likely know some person that's had some weird like pre-deja vu type thing in a dream sure uh, it is so um uh not only was that an initial interest for me, the whole like, how is that dream possible? Because I met her in a way that was very reminiscent of the dream. Um, in fact, archetypally, it was the exact same thing. It was just the dream was a little more like illustrious and cartoonish. Um, sure. And uh, um, but it was also the shadow work involved, you know, because there's that old saying that is pretty reminiscent of this whole Jungian projection process and, uh, and the relationships that you have with people. And it's like, you know, uh, you're a generalized combination of the three closest people in your life at any given time. And there's so, you know, there's some truth to that in the sense of, um, you know, the reason we're drawn to people is it has, um, innate archetypal, um, you know, it's, it's chaos theory. Like um, sure. how far might those things ripple and the deeper you investigate those ripples. And uh, especially if you're having phenomena, like in my case, even after breaking up with this person. And even when I felt like emotionally I had moved on, I still continued to have the same dreams that I had when I first met her. And it's this weird um, existentially frustrating um chase motif where Mm -hmm. she you know she's motioning for me to uh, follow her and there's always so many obstacles in the way and I can't whether they be like mythological or I'm floating through space or running through a maze or and I can never catch up with her and it really um, 
through a lot of that shadow work. Mm, how do I summarize this quickly uh, in, in ways that we can expand on? Like there are some aspects of shadow work that you could consider demonology, but there's also those like wounded aspects of yourself that need nurturing. And, uh, and what I was realizing was this was some sort of existentially frustrating, deep projection of my relationship to the anima. And it wasn't mm-hmm. a, a sort of negative thing. It was that what was negative was my broken relationship to this aspect, this deep archetypal uh, aspect of my psyche, to all of our psyches. And um, um, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's there's more I could get into from there, but I would be happy to volley it over to you for a second as well. No, yeah, it just uh, reminds me, I jotted down a quote I think that works about it, especially, you know, in these times of interpersonal and human duress, uh, you know, people go hunting for this, right. Or diving in this case, maybe hunting in the next case, but, um, people, uh, it's that you say that, uh, people often fail to find much value in the spiritual because they are afraid of the plunge. And even if they do the plunge, they don't know how deep to go or how deep they can go, or if they will ever remember the way home. Many people give up halfway through the journey because they don't understand that it can sometimes take 20,000 leagues before we dive deep to find anything monolithic, you know, (laughs) and I, and that's, you know, that's kind of part and parcel to what we were talking about in the beginning about the empiricism of things. I see too often people in duress and people uh, through desperation turn to different metaphysics and practices and hell even religions you know um to help seek the other right to get them out of the situation they're in and they find that it's not the answer that they were looking for or it's not you know what they want is a quick fix that what they want is you know uh, an an exit plan right like a Mm -hmm. quick escape and it they you know they tend to bail on it and then go around and say oh it's all bullshit and i see this often with a lot of people that it didn't work for me it must not be true Uh, it didn't work for me it must all be bullshit Mm -hmm. when you know the sad i won't say sad but it's a somber like uh it's the somber nature of putting yourself out of your comfortable element you know putting yourself out of the con text of what you were in being truly adventurous right you know going left all the way instead of whatever's right and you know finishing it out mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. looking for you know and then finding that meaning obviously you know some people in their desperation they go to a you know sign up for a certain newsletter and realize oh shit uh do not like these people you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but, you know, you know something that drove me throughout my experiences that became dive manual was the whole allegory of Saturn ascending. Right. Um, Yeah. And not even um, because of the literal astrological implications, although there could, there could be some. And, uh, but like, if nothing else, just the Saturnian symbolism and the whole idea of just in that shadow work sense of once you reach a certain point of age, the things that you, actively avoided as as best as you could are going to come back and and kind of smack you and that it was really like for me 
again, part of what propelled me throughout the research and writing experience. Um, and I mean, even experiencing all that before getting into the writing was that idea that like, well, in some sense, prefer the proverbial genie is out of the bottle. And if I stuff this stuff back in, um, I'm just going to be kicking the can down the road. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. But then again, it of course goes back to, um, not wanting to bite off more than you can true, you know, less things become a bit Lovecraftian if you're not careful. And that's what, that's one of, uh, that's a motif I tried to, I tried to run with all throughout the book is uh, that I, even when things are going well, like when you're out on in the open adventure like that, um, again, there's, there's that um, impending, there's that potential impending doom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My father always said, you know, expect the worst, be pleasantly surprised. And there's, you know, there's, there's truth in that, but also, you know, I'm like, Jesus, can I have a little joy in my childhood? Right. Yeah. I know the feeling. Yeah. My dad said pretty much the same thing. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I wanted to say, and I love this, we're weaving circles and like, this is a cool spider web of a discussion because I found this other quote of yours that I wanted to talk about. We were talking about young and maybe, we were like to finish your point that you were just saying, you know, about diving in too early or, you know, not having the, uh, yeah, the, the measures, the means, you know, to, to, you know, fathom like bits of the journey rather than trying to rush to the finish line. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say that young and his constituents have always warned against the path of a forceful or expedited individuation. We must all walk the middle path, never too naive as to ignore the shadow and its inclinations towards pain and ultimate triumph through self-discovery. And at the same time, I lost it. At the same time, we must be even more careful to not look our demons straight in the eye. They are likely to turn us to stone with the callous indifference of a boy flicking an ant off his picnic basket. All the same, however, this does not mean that a confrontation with them should be avoided. And I think that's it. It's like, you know, not to, I'm not a gamer, but, you know, if you think about, you know, levels in a video game, you know what I mean? You're not going to get, you know, the, Jesus, I'm going to date myself with a Mortal Kombat reference. Uh, I was like, <laughs> you're not going to get Shang Tsung in the second level. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, hey, man, is it their new movie? I think that's that's coming back around. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not that I've seen M. Bison. It. You're not going to get M. Bison in the second round. Um, <laughs> but, and I, you know, I enjoy that. And I think people forget that. I think this, especially, you know, in the intro, when I mentioned how I think your, this book is of the time is because it's a lot of like, slow down. Like, I know you want everything to happen right away. And I know this is probably going to be a treacherous thing, you know, but it's about the process. It's not about the result. So absolutely. Which is something that you, even though I talk about metaphysics and chaos theory so much, which is basically chaos magic in a sense. Sure. um, Yeah. um, That whole idea of the thousand mile journey starts with the first step and continues with all the steps in between is, uh, is something that's kind of lost in, um, if you're not careful in the hang up slash slash fascination that, uh, a chaos magicians have with results-based, um, magic I know. And things. Yeah. yeah. And that's where I delineate. 
you know, from chaos magic is, yeah, to me, like the magic, a lot of the times is the process is the ritual Mm -hmm. and that is the result, you know? Absolutely. Um, you know, one, um, one thing I always love to bring up because I don't think it ever gets old. It's a pretty timeless saying. Um, and I think uh, while it is brought up, I'm surprised it's not brought up more in modern discussions of metaphysics. The whole idea of the butterfly effect, classic right. chaos theory adage, you know, from um, um, when because everyone knows, you know, the flap of the butterfly wing can potentially create the typhoon halfway around the world. But when you really think about it, like, isn't that essentially what magic is? Because if you ever tried to, if you ever tried to do some sort of forensic analysis from that typhoon to the butterfly flap, even though we know that's theoretically possible, there's no way you, with our modern science or understanding that you could ever make that resolute conclusion that, oh, it came from that butterfly flap. Oh, I see. So yeah. And I like, I like that event idea. Horizon. idea. Uh, that idea too, especially because, you know, the flap of a butterfly wing isn't the pomp and circumstance of flapping a butterfly wing to do something. It's just the causality of mm-hmm. uh, uh, an insect, you know, a bug doing what it does. You know Absolutely. what I mean? So there's these like crazy connotations that, you know, us just, you know, being humans and making short decisions and instinctual things or anything and it could have these major effects around the world the magic of the present moment yeah and that's uh you know and that's a scary thing too because i think you know when we're talking about and i i use this term a lot i know uh some people are gonna you know guffaw at this but uh you know self-sorcery and i mean that you know it sounds goofy and it sounds D D. um but it's uh it's a it's a true thing like learning how to commune with your instincts like and that's you know why i started this whole quote with that victor frankel quote or i started this whole podcast with that victor frankel quote because if you can you know commune with your instinctual reactions to life happening at you you know that to me is that's that's true sorcery right absolutely 100 yeah. percent. Um, and let's oh go um, ahead Oh no! So um, I was I was gonna say that um, I mean self sorcery is a uh, is a great term for it. Um, I hadn't I hadn't heard that yet. I like it. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean the whole al- uh, the alchemy mo- uh, process throughout the book is yeah. I mean just yeah, self sorcery through and through. Absolutely. Yeah, and like yeah, the transmutation. I do like mm-hmm. that there is a spine in dive manual that is alchemical and. You know, and to your credit, I must say, because Lord, have I read many magic primers, you know, in the last like four or five years. And I'm not saying yours is a magic primer, but I've read a lot of, you know, I think maybe haphazard, haphazardly written tomes to kind of elevate the the writer, right? And and (laughs) them being somebody that, you know, should be uh, revered or whatever for their knowledge. But yours, I think you're marrying marrying the, you know, the dive metaphor with the actual, you know, real story of your like inner turmoil and a relationship here and there. I thought that was like beautifully constructed and real. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. Well, that's, excuse me, that's a, a huge point 
that I, I, I like to bring up whenever I can and something that I really wanted to highlight with Dive Manual. And ultimately, one of the biggest reasons I felt compelled to put any bit of my own story in there is that's something that's so lost in esotericism or occultism, just, you know, mystical thinking at large um, is not always, but too often. Um, it's, you know, we have this um, many times the experience starts out as seeking power um, in that Faustian sense. And it's not really what it's about in the long run. Um, it's okay to, um, be opportunist in a way that still keeps altruism in mind you know we all have to live in a in a world and take care of ourselves and the people we care about but um the the idea in really using any sort of metaphysical discipline spiritual discipline um is therapy it's catharsis in the long run it's healing your sick soul and that's all too often again what's what's left out is and that to me is such a telltale sign of someone that uh, didn't get enough of the full picture. Cause I don't have the full picture. No one does, but that's how you can no. tell that they have too little of a picture is when their biggest takeaway is how interesting they are. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, and also just the certainty too, you know, I feel, mm -hmm. Uh, and this may be just a testament of the times, but I think people are more resolute to listen to, you know, someone with an authoritative stance instead of someone going, I don't fucking know, man, this shit is crazy. I, I do this. Uh, I do that. Like my my mind changes, you know, every now and again, you know, some weeks I think it's demons. Other weeks I think it's my brain, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> And yeah, so much of it in the long run, I really think um, it comes down to that chaos, magical idea of there's a certain inertia behind certain symbols, especially given your own personal context. But, you know, so uh, boiled down to there are certain environmental factors, but ultimately do what works for you. Like truly, yeah. um, and, and as long as there's some underlying emphasis of altruism um altruism in a way that um is you know because you know there are times when you have to sacrifice certain things but generally speaking it, there should be a two-way street you know what what helps you should help others and vice versa if possible you know yeah altruism is underrated i think you know yeah uh, some people think it's impossible i I yeah. think I think just because it's an ideal doesn't mean well, it's impossible. Well, and then impossible. again, here we are. It's people thinking about results, like the uh, absolutism of altruism. No, the strive for altruism exactly is the point. Not you know, no one's yeah. going to be a, a resolute altruist. You know, it's exactly. the uh, it's the strive for it. And this is, I think that's that speaks more about you know our culture now. It's it, everything is defined as some absolutist prism. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. when we use these terms, um, you know, not understanding that just because you can't be a spaceman, you know, doesn't mean that you shouldn't learn about space. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Or um, that it's fake. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, um, uh, you know, something that really spurred me along in my interest of 
different belief systems and spiritual disciplines being like tools of a tool, tool belt um, was some, some like advice, like just words of wisdom that I once got. And uh, that being, you know, if you think about it from like an evolutionary adaptational perspective, and especially before the advents of um, like this, uh, the internet and even industrialism in, in many cases, um, when things were a bit more, when cultures were even more distant from each other um, and less communication there, you know, there would obviously be different um, evolutionary adaptational pressures for someone in the Arctic circle than there would be someone in the Caribbean. And um, um, I think that, um, you know, dogma certainly would not agree with that. You know, any Christian you ask would say like, well, Christ is, is universal across the globe. But I really think yeah. that it's, um, I think it is. Which is a funny sentence. <clears throat> universal across the globe. That's, it is right that's yeah exactly how they think yeah or not that you know what i mean like the dogmatic folks but yeah sorry go ahead yeah yeah um <laughs> um but i think this is one thing um you know that i always will debate endlessly with uh, my my christian family um that i i get along with plenty well but um uh, is just i will always you know that it, it it makes perfect sense having when you look into different religions and spiritual traditions, as I'm sure you and the, uh, the vast majority of your audience, if not all of them know, um, the context is key. You know, you have to like, yeah. it's, anthropology becomes so crucial. And that wouldn't be the case if it wasn't like they were filling some sort of existential heuristic gap. Um, heuristic being a fun thing to bring up at this point. Because, yeah, do it. I was yeah. I have it listed. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think that that's a big piece because you know I'm interested obviously in archetypes and um, I talk about mimetics a little bit as well and uh, the units of psychological steps and unfoldment and things and processes and um, heuristic, um, which can either be like a unit or like a descriptive term um is uh, you know this trial and error self-education process that we find all throughout our adaptation process like two easy examples being um so much of like medieval medical like a, before that and especially common in the medieval era was the notion that you could pick up um illnesses and sickness from smell and you know you mm. can't but um, unless it's like chemical warfare or something. Um, but generally speaking, you can't, it, but we do know that, uh, like rotting, terrible smells are pretty reasonable, almost universal, uh, indicators of things you should probably stay away from and not eat. Um, so there is some sort of what you would call heuristic value in there. You're not getting right. the full truth, but you are getting legitimate tangible value like how we make you know the um un aromatic gasoline smell like rotten eggs <laughs> right right yeah. yeah 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 that's a good point yeah um another example being you know people still many to this day think that porcupines shoot out their quills um <laughs> yeah i i think they might have some sort of ability to like release it from themselves but they right. don't, don't shoot and they're not shooting it yeah yeah but if you think that they do then 
you're probably likely to stay further away from them and there will be some value in that for you. It'll, you'll err on the side of caution. So a lot of heuristics, like from the adaptational point of view is, um, um, is this like interesting amalgamation of like experimentation and erring on the side of caution. And you can really see how when you're, because like it, it is, there's many cases even in our modern life where you can see cause and effect you can see an a to b step system there but that doesn't mean that you know what happened in between you know yeah there's so many examples of that and and that's that's what concerns me you know (laughs) i want to know what happened between there absolutely yeah yeah and that and then that's pretty much uh uh in the, the the scale of the human experience that a to b is it that's heuristic right there and um, yeah um i think um i th- i think that's another thing that's lost in something like new age when you're trying to sell as many books as possible is you want to sell people this concrete reality of metaphysical ideas but that's a big point that i try to impress with my research is you um you have the part of this is your own individual discernment it's your own individual sure. experience because there are going to be like we said um some beliefs that you're probably that are better suited for you than others more than likely and um and that um you might actually get tangible practical value out of it that you can measure and what that means is that there's some level of truth to it but you probably won't ever know the whole as the whole aspect of truth is to that you might get shades of it you might get tidbits or breadcrumbs but that's where people you know that's that's the threshold of cultism right there sure people get sold a bill of goods exactly the absolutists right um it kind of brings me back to this idea actually you know what i'm thinking you do you want to keep going do you have time yeah yeah i got time uh, you want to take like I'll do a little music break and you can use the restroom. We'll get going. Sure. Again. Yeah. Like two minute or something. Two, three minute. Yeah. Cops. Cool. Right on. Awesome. And thanks everyone in chat for letting me know about volume. We will be back. Um, having a great chat with Anthony Tyler here. Um, mods. I will send you a uh, Amazon. Is Amazon the best way to get dive manual? Yeah, you could go right to Amazon, type it in, or you can go to my website, divemind.net, or you can find okay. it pretty easy. I'll put that in there. Cool. Um, and yeah, I'll play um, a track from my recent uh, Dakota Slim record, and we'll use the bathroom and take a little break, and we'll be right back.
A flight of fishes Suicide Shaman Beware the creepy tongues Say that they own it Beware the creepy tongues Say they are legion They are legion I like that. Um, I was like, hey, you want to take a break? I blamed it on you, but I just really had to pee. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Uh, I enjoy a good intermission. Just a, just a slight intermission. I didn't time that music well to that small scene, but uh, we're just going to keep on going. Um, no, so what I really wanted to dive into, uh, not, that was not an intentional pun. Um <laughs> was uh, how you begin the book with this kind of this thesis statement. And um, it goes, what I am arguing is that the soul is the soul categorically can be observed. It's just a matter of whether this is too, this too is deterministic or not. And then use an example, the atheists argue that it is, where the existentialists argue that it isn't. And so what have you found? Well, um, I think that, you know, on the opposite side of the spectrum, there are people like Sam Harris, um, someone mm. that I, um, you know, I, I've listened to a great deal of what he has to say um, over the years, uh, more so in the past. And um, he, you know, he, he says some, uh, he says some, he has some good points. Um, while I don't agree with a lot of his conclusions, um, certainly a, a smart, articulate person that has uh, interesting food for thought. And ultimately, when it comes to free will, for example, one of his big topics, you know, I think he um, is he's got to be aware of the term on some level, because I know he talks with people like the Weinstein, Weinstein brothers right. and Jordan Peterson. But he really has never gamut. taken. Yeah, he, he's really never taken into account this whole like heuristic model um right that's why i, I say uh sam harris debate sam cedar i'm just kidding that was a, that was a bad joke but sorry go ahead um um so yeah because ultimately like the fact that free will plays a component in how we operate um it really is a like a predicate the the human experience is very much predicated on the idea of free will and and the belief in it and i think that much like so much of this unexplainable uh, these unexplainable topics like the fact that it's recurring and that it plays a crucial component in what you could boil down to our whole scale like adaptation scale um is really something that um can't be dismissed and i think it really boils down to which in my mind has never even with all the neuroscience has never been able to really um all the skepticism has never been able to argue away the whole kantian idea the a priori uh, structure of the psyche i i think at the very least and and uh to to dissect that quote that you mentioned a little bit that really is i i firmly i think without question empirically the fact that there is that a priori aspect of the psyche um is 
just almost like common observation. But again, Mm -hmm. it really is. um, And I think that is the soul. I think very clearly, anthropologically even, that is what everyone is always called the soul. And it really is at that point, just a matter of the next steps, uh, the next natural steps of the question like, uh, what is the soul? Does it survive after death? Those are different questions that are very interesting. But like, first and foremost, I just, even from like a, an empirical uh, material point of view, I, I simply don't see how you could say that there is no soul. I think that what they're really saying when they say that is there's no afterlife or travel of the soul, but it's different. These are different topics. Sure. I think too, you know, we, we get into this uh, kind of, tried and true lexicon of convoluted terms right when you say soul there's just so much connotation to that um have you found a better terminology to discuss such things Mm, um, do you just err on the side of i want this to be more receptive when i say these words because it's just easier right easier to kind of pertain what i'm talking about if i'm using the word soul it's a good point or or, uh, um a good question and a little bit of both, I guess you could say, because on some level we have to look for, like I said, the common denominators. And that mm-hmm. means taking into account what the value was that people got out of terms that a skeptic today might consider superstitious or things like that. But also um, I think, um, I think really, even though this might not, this is more of like, again, like an allegorical heuristic truth than, mm-hmm. um, than perhaps uh, absolutely resolute, but there are resolute aspects. Um, but point being, um, this chaos theory allegory of how the unfoldment of the world around us is very much uh, chaos theory, as well as our own psyches. Um, I think that um, that whole uh idea of the fractal which is chaos theory it, it as above so below um i think that uh that really touches the the that's the cornerstone of the soul argument as far as i'm concerned it's like you know uh sometimes people forget that the the whole tree of life model uh, proposed by the ancient Kabbalists was supposed to be the quote-unquote anatomy of god and that is supposed to be some sort of um um allegorical forensic almost implication as in they recognized the power and relevance and almost damn near limitless um, potential of the imagination and the physics of the psyche and how you could say at least allegorically that there is a cosmos inside each and every one of our 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 psyches and uh and and they felt like existentially through their own experiences they could validate that uh, enough to their liking and if the and and so if that's true which they rolled with as being true then and man humans are a little cosmos then wouldn't the cosmos be a, a quote-unquote big person <laughs> sure yeah yeah um, yeah macro, a micro, lot of the, that. exactly a lot yeah. so much of the allegory is lost these days but it's all right there out in the open if you just care to look yeah i wonder like um if there were so just the, the kind of permeation of dive manual, because it definitely seems like someone's journal, right, of things they have discovered over a certain amount of time. 
and placed in a way like, hey, I'd like to share this with you. I see all this comparative, you know, kind of, you know, metamorphosis between these different esoteric ideas. Mm-hmm. Were there any things that you were kind of you any revelations that you had writing it as far as like you know when you're trying to compose a book right or compose something there's always kind of this idea of a finality to it in a way right Mm -hmm. so how did you know when to this is good like to cap the end and like your resolution of it Hmm, that's a very good question and um um well in some sense part of me coming to terms with how to resolve it and um and know when it was done was recognizing that on some level what part of the purpose was was to be a snapshot in a sense like similar to you know your musician you uh, the like as to how an album is in many ways kind of like a snapshot of your life sure. at the time and um yeah. um you might your ideas might expand and evolve but um the best case scenario what you do with what happens to your past work is it becomes a relevant useful snapshot even if things have evolved yeah it's journalism right right exactly exactly just because things expand doesn't mean that the past has become irrelevant or invalidated um yeah so in some sense when i'm 40 years old i'm sure that i might look uh, that my ideas uh at least some of them will inevitably evolve and expand a little bit but i feel very confident having taken enough time to put this out and put the due diligence into it that um um it it'll stand the test of time so to speak and 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 again it's because i wanted it to be that kind of snapshot um i wanted it to kind of like have that almost that that subtle twinge of like coming of ageness to it but yeah but more so from like a reflective perspective i wanted you know because i'm 25 i'm a little bit at like a midpoint and this book was pretty much wrapped up when i was like 23 or so a lot of the writing 21 22 um and then a lot of the editing up until it came out last year so so anyway it i'm i wanted it to be a little relatable for anyone who's a little younger than me if they were taking a dive so deep into subject matter but a, a lot of it i knew you know because of the subject matter of plenty of people older than me would be reading it and the last thing i wanted to do was be like a young gun saying like i i've learned so much more than all of you right so it, it was more like i wanted to at best draw people into that reminiscent state and 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 reflect on that almost like inner child in themselves in a way well and you know that's that's kind of what spoke to me about it reading it was you know and i used that adage about you know i read a lot of people's like hey i think i know what's up i'm gonna write a book about it blah what i I like about yours is that it's like it encapsulates you know perfectly kind of the majesty of like the innocence of discovering these things right it's like you're not you're not gonna yeah in no way or shape or form did i read it and go wow this you know he's too big for his britches you know what i mean like (laughs) i appreciate it it's uh it's cool and that's what makes it so i feel like it's so it's a perfect snapshot too of just the time in which it it is written and where you know in this internet age and and this you know cross pollination huge spider web of you know the internet and cultures and everything like you were able to kind of fine line 
you know, in text, you know, what the comparative ideas, you know, really held to. Thank so, you. Thank you. And um, yeah. that is, it's not like uh, any virtue signaling when I say that um, it truly, that is like, it harkens back to what I said about spirituality as catharsis and healing the sick soul. Uh, there's where the thresholds of like real catharsis so many times are have a sense of grace and humility to them. Um, humility, not necessarily as hopefully people understand it's not like a humiliating way necessarily all sure. of that can be a component it's a humbling yeah exactly and um yeah that's a that's a that's a big part of my life and a lot of my research in general especially looking more into demonology with this next project um the, the idea that being so self-righteous and being like proverbially blinded by the light and thinking that you're so like so untouchably good that's the threshold of pure evil so many times oh yeah. yeah and you know i've seen you too in other chats or in other podcasts mainly kind of focused on the charlatanism of this stuff right so like you're very you're very versed in you know the that church of doubt when it comes to wow this is you know these are people monetarily you know subter whatever fuging i don't even think that's a word but like you know like being uh uh, uh clandestine with their true motives and like it seems to be a you know, cult of personality shit sometimes it seems to be a cult you know mm -hmm. and uh it's interesting too because i have to say and it's funny i'm i'm reading some of the chat and all of my chats like oh my god to be 25 again yeah. <laughs> but what's what's funny is that you know we i think we discredit too i think there's a big uh stigma and i always hated this especially the occult communities that you know there's a huge stigma about age and there's about like what you're putting out and i will say for any of those that have that stigma in the chat like this book is not going to spoil your cornflakes about being old it's a great it's just a great primer and it reminds you of the comparative you know folklore i should say um because that's i think like the base standard of what all theology is right mm -hmm, the comparative absolutely. folklore of like the inward search so don't uh you know don't tell them to get off your lawn or anything <laughs> um, um but yeah, yeah. yeah thanks um i uh and you know i don't know just candid food for thought um growing up you know my dad um i'm a little bit of the black sheep uh, i think is uh, pretty more than fair mm. to say uh because like i come from a line of uh military people and my dad being um a detective um and over the years um they uh like i remember i don't in different conversations and tidbits basically having to impress upon my dad that there and other family members even that there's a difference between like um really theatrical verbose new age and uh uh like full-blown cultism and something like um a disciplined philosophy and this archetypal analysis and trying to go about this stuff with 
control methods as best you yeah. can. And, um, and uh, yeah, so having to just for the sake of, um, and I would never really felt ostracized or anything, but I, uh, it was so left field that I had to explain it certainly to uh, over time to the people in my family. And that really did just kind of, I think naturally, um, develop some of my mindset is um, in terms of distinguishing myself a lot more from uh, some of the snake oil salesmen and such out there. And, and like I said, having a mentor that was this like old school hip hop head, um, retired cop who was into martial arts and Taoism. um, um, It was all, it's always a running theme throughout my upbringing, this sort of disciplined humility art of war approach you want to keep a certain amount of humility and grace but you want to be able to uh, defend right. yourself and stand you up you don't for want to be a pushover in. right so yeah, yeah it's funny too you know i guess i'm trying to phrase this in a way but it's yeah i think i just think like the humility is such a big part that it's missing a lot from you know, all of these texts and these people, I mean, you know, right away, if someone is, uh, has like the constant paranoia of self that is in us all, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it's just, and I know, I don't want to use words like narcissism and gaslighting that seems like everyone uses these days and mm, don't really know real. what they are. For real, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, that's that's their way of saying, oh, someone, you know, overconfident or egoic is, you know, and I think it's more of a projection, too, in a lot of times. But we can go through this whole thing. But I wanted to bring up, you know, I don't know if you're I probably should ask you off air if you're okay to talk about this, but you put it in the book. So free game. I'm sure it'll be Uh, fine. uh, But uh, you you talk a little bit about kind of succumbing to drugs and alcohol or oh, i'll just put like you know weed and alcohol or pills or or yeah I mean, what, what especially at certain times in my life there was more than just weed yeah and i think you know i think with us because i too you know I'm, I'm a recovering addict i've been you know very upfront about that that's part of my humility right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but you had it in a time that also helped propel like you inward more right and i think Mm -hmm. that's what we i think as addicts you know we're forced to do that all the time or that's what we're escaping right 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 (laughs) absolutely and you had um there was another quote i know i'm going to keep quoting you um but uh says the addict deciding to get clean and then staying clean despite all odds even in spite of relapses this is the nature that constitutes the soul. The mere fact that a person can make a drastic change and stick with it, despite every deterministic quality within them, this is the quality of a soul. And that that's saying to me. And to move back on, you know, the thesis kind of, of of this book in a way is, you know, the communion with that soul or that self, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, what what Jung would call the circumambulation of the self, how we all right. orbit around this core a priori aspect of self-discovery um, throughout our lives, the same way that we orbit the sun. Um, and um, um, yeah, uh, 
I can't remember. There are some things uh, we could go to from there. I can't remember what, what I was particularly going to say to that effect, but uh, the, the self-discovery, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, quintessential. And um, well, I think also, you know, finding ourselves, you know, through not escaping. Right. Cause I right. think, Oh yeah. Me, the addiction, there was some yeah, good yeah. stuff I was going to bring up there. Go, to me, that, that was the escape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, um, and that was something that was a huge part of the empirical leaning for me, especially early on, is anyone who's familiar with some of the forefront of uh, addiction, like studies and the legitimate sciences, uh, Gabor Mate. Um, sure. I, yeah, I really, that was uh, that was someone who was inspiring to me early on in a similar way that people like Jung and John Keel and Manly P. Hall were. And um the, the allegory that he uses of the hungry ghost is something that always really stuck with me as well. And holy shit, I've been using that for years. Yeah, yeah, it's, the it's tiny so neck, eloquent. big bellies. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the it really Preta, is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is that. Uh, I I think it's um an eloquent allegory for, um, and it, it and it, it might not be just an allegory, you know, um, heuristic, mind you, but it's an eloquent allegory for that inertia that you have um, with the monkey on your back of addiction. Like even once you break that chemical dependency, there's still that psychological inertia that just that pull, and then you have to work with that too. And you know, so for me, I started out um, early on having you know dealing with depression and anxiety in high school. I got on. Um, SSRIs and benzodiazepines. And then just to uh, disclaimer, I never had a psych uh, psychotic diagnosis, but this is fairly common uh, to boost both of those uh, two prescriptions. They also gave me a mood stabilizer, like quote unquote yeah. antipsychotic. So, hey, listen, I've been prescribed a lot of them. All right. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is a safe room of psychotics. <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> And that was, I was young. I, I took those from like 15 to 17. And um, uh, it really gave me a really dissonant like haze, just like a fog. I felt very untuned with the world around me. Yes. And yeah. and that kind of attributed to and snowballed into what was essentially like a state of chronic depersonalization for a while, it, like a really um, just... A denial of the self in a way where like I knew I existed in things but it was it was like um just like black pilling really hard in a way yeah. in, in the sense <laughs> of just like none of this like old, like nihilism like self nihilism yeah straight you know? yeah yeah absolutely yeah. um and so where I was never doing anything uh malicious to anybody else but I really just um and thankfully I was raised with a sense of moral and ethics that I didn't feel the need to get rid of. But if not for that, I probably would have been a, 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 a probably a terrible person, but instead it was a lot more just self-destructive. And then there's sure. And because of, um, and Hey, um, some of us, uh, you know, that, you know, were raised with moral and ethics, you know, did terrible things, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's, I, that's the disease. Absolutely. And no shame yeah. in that. Um, I, I can say that there's plenty of things uh, you know, like anybody that I wish I could take back. And uh, the only thing that saved me was 
friends and family, because uh, even at a time where I didn't, I wasn't talking to family, I had good enough friends who, you know, and in some sense, I really like that phrase because it's kind of chaos theory reminiscent uh, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Sure. Um, Because if it wasn't for um, the people I just, just kind of like was lucky enough to be like attracted to friend wise, um, those, because the people in, um, you brought it up earlier at the quote unquote uh, Beaujolais Lodge of the Blue Moose. It was right. It was just this weird esoteric psychedelic goonie thing happening in my basement. Mm-hmm. We'd go out to my woods, trip in. This is from like 19, 18, 19, 20. And then by 21, it was pretty much wrapped up. Um, but uh, intermittently. And, um, you know, we would have a lot of philosophical discussions and things. And it was, um, um, it was, I feel like if I hadn't taken that step of the thank God and goddess that the the drug use became psychedelic and went inward further far enough to where I right. realized that there was something beyond the drugs because yeah. I was dabbling with other things too. You know, I, um, I definitely dabbled um, with opiates and a lot, you know, lots of alcohol and, um escapist uh, drugs right yeah just just being like ultimately i was slick enough and young enough and scared enough to not or i would say addicted to anything yeah artificial euphoria drugs whereas you know yeah as like a psychotropic Mm -hmm. you know in the sense of uh psychedelic drugs like i used to take them uh to have bad trips to remind myself not to fear waking life you know that's a great use of it absolutely yeah my real addiction experience um was getting off the uh quitting the the clonopin and yeah the benzos yeah Yeah. that was hard for sure um but overall um my uh just like self-medication continued from there and i was like smart enough and scared enough um I don't even know smart enough. Just I didn't have enough time to go fall right. fall yeah. down the rabbit hole of um getting really hooked on an opiate or something. But I was high all the time on different things, so it was just as much an issue. And um yeah, it again all the catharsis and the sense of um humility and um you know it's I've had times where you know certain like you know, there's that old uh people say like you got to look in the mirror um but they don't talk about what you need to be doing when you look in the mirror and some of that is like what you're talking about with the bad trip and how sometimes you just have to sometimes it's on the tip of your tongue it's at the threshold of your conscious mind and you just have to sit and let it come and realize that you have been a a bad person in one way or another or you haven't been truthful or honest enough to yourself you've been a disservice to yourself however you want to put it given the circumstances and just that sometimes that acceptance of how much you've screwed up um even if it's not always your fault you know but just how much yeah. you've contributed to, to, to screwing up and getting oh, it's always there. my fault <laughs> but you know people are afraid of that uh, that pain and that realization but that really is like the threshold of alchemical transmutation it's that release and that catharsis and yeah you yeah. know uh, something i wanted to bring up for fun um is on this note um completely is the guy who did the cover of the book dive manual um 
it's that illustrious sort of like chaos theory butterfly flap type thing sure and um he's uh it's he's, actually in the very faintly in the back of the thumbnail if you didn't notice yeah totally um, the video yeah and uh for anyone who's interested um you could go check him out he's on spotify and youtube he's a rapper named deca and it's um very um is a you know produces it and the, his own lyrics and does his own album artwork he's been around for a while and uh a pretty solid underground following very esoteric and um in a way that's like really captivating it's hard to not like him so i i uh i encourage anyone to just go like check out a song or something and um he did that he did the book cover what is the for, website again for him just real quick mm, for everyone listening mm, it is oh how do you spell his name yeah, I could get you the website. I'll get you the, the website by okay, the end awesome. of it. But um, yeah. but his name, you could type it into Spotify or wherever. Uh, Deca D E C A, and um, um, and so he also is. This is something you know. I won't speak for the guy or anything, but this is something he talks about in his own art. Um, is it, you know his recovery from uh, from opiates and things, mm-hmm. and um, and how his own uh, journey it was very similar to like you and me and. Uh, plenty of the listeners i'm sure um of that everything we just talked about um and he used um ayahuasca and other things as well yeah i've heard Mm -hmm. that yeah Mm -hmm. especially uh in trying to you know aid in uh detoxification i hear this a lot Mm -hmm. and just uh yeah it's it's interesting i would i i would like to investigate it but yeah i do like the idea and it makes sense being thrust into this inner dimension of all of the fucking things that make you drink or make you do drugs like mm-hmm. ayahuasca or what That's did the that definition of say you know uh, dancing with the dog and yeah devil's weed yeah right? <laughs> um I mean, yeah uh, addiction a cover Mescalito recovery yeah. yeah it can't be done without shadow work it's shadow yeah. work by definition essentially um so um and that's why i think in many cases uh you know psychedelics are so useful um because i think uh, and this is another uh good point to bring up when you look into a lot of the psychedelic tradition um some of this is debatable uh, and i'm not an expert um and there are cases to be made and um i think more than enough evidence to show that it was actually used um for quintessential like communion if you will uh like right. sort of uh, sacramentally but in so many cases like at least the you know competing for top uh use um if 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 not at least like the definite primary secondary use is healing the sick the sick soul thing that we're talking about and um you know people including myself talk about jung a lot but another uh, for anyone who's interested in the psychology of the spiritual experience, um, the the old psychologist William James mm. and his work, The Variety of Religious Experiences, it was like one of the first ever works um, um, like right alongside the beginnings of Freud and before Jung, like while Jung was still coming up and studying. Um, starting to really look into the hypnotic mechanisms of the religious and mystical experience and going into perhaps the most fascinating part of that book and something that still holds up today is his psychological analysis of the like what you would call right and left-handed paths um right 
And this also goes to, you know, what I was talking about, different tools of the tool belt and how different aspects are going to suit different people and how in the long run, I think the only metric you should use, uh, the only like universal one is uh, is like the middle path, essentially. You don't want either extremes. Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's uh, that's a quote that stood out to me the most in your book, for sure, is that middle path. Yeah, that's one of the biggest benefits that I've had that I've had to and also one of the things I've had to work on the most throughout the years is reconciling the opposites within myself. Yeah. Contradictory mm -hmm. nature. Yeah. And yeah. I feel it Absolutely. always. Um, but, you know, I wanted to ask you, too, before we wrap up. Um, mm -hmm. So I've been working on, you know, slowly working. I do some articles for We the Hollowed here and there. But uh, um, my I call my my brand of magic, my anarchic magic, divergent magic, because it's magic that kind of communes with brain chemistry and, you know, high functioning autism, bipolar disorder, all of that mm -hmm. as like sort of the other. You know, mm -hmm. because brain chemistry really is just like oppressive, you know, in the classical sense, like a demon that is oppressing and you need to commune with it to to work with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the the science of someone's mind or the chemistry of someone's mind can be all encompassing. It's it's not something you have control over all the time. You know, it's uh, it can be enveloping, but at the same time, uh, looking at it in this pragmatic, pragmatic sense, I almost said pragmatic sense, and I would have shot myself if I did. Um, uh, but this pragmatic sense of, you know, uh, communing, yeah, with your brain chemistry as the other mm -hmm. to, you know, kind of solve the riddles of the day, you know, to, to use spare spells to get through the day to help yourself and all of this. And I just wanted to ask you, uh, what do you think about, um, you know, this idea of commuting with brain chemistry as quote unquote, the other? Um, I, that's really, you know, um, you and like, um, you know, your partner, Eric, um, you guys both, um, share the same. Eric Millar? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Are you kidding me? Mundane magic? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And for anyone who doesn't know, um, I have Eric on board to be doing the uh the cover uh for my upcoming work, which is does not have a release date, but I can assure you will be coming out. Um that's yeah, so we'll manual. talk about hunt manual, but he is uh yeah, Eric Millar, my cohort and we the hollowed and all the Oracle um beautiful projects he does yeah. and actually doing uh anthony's next book cover which is so cool that's like yeah i can't this wait full circle yeah. yeah and i really love his um sense of um uh surrealism and that like dark kind of like uh almost like a psychedelic frank miller-ish comic book vibe and mm -hmm. this is great but anyway yeah. uh, about the brain chemistry and things um no i that's really that really touches uh, that hits the nail on the head um and I think, you know, another way, because that describes shadow work so well. And, right. you know, it's, you got to go, you got to remember both sides of the coin with shadow work. And like, in a sense, you know, without getting too corny, like both, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's both slaying the dragon and rescuing the damsel, right? Like, so you can't go run and gun and you can't shake hands with everything you come across. Uh, there's that level of discernment. Um, 
Yeah. And um, um, because in a lot of sense, having dealt with, you know, the, the like, uh, which divergent magic, it's a nice term. And I think it fits it well. Um, I could definitely say that I've worked with my brain chemistry in those same kinds of ways. And um, from my own experience, I can say that there are many times where, again, like a wounded child aspect of yourself, there's some healing that needs to be done in nurturing. Right. And then other the times, Chiron, the wounded warrior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And other times you got to draw a line in the sand and be like, this is such a maladaptive personality trait. I need to eradicate that. That's the dragon I need to slay. Um, and, um, you know, I, uh, it, that's, um, that is something I think, um, you know, like that's the whole piece of um, what you would call individuation in the long sure. run, that whole union sentiment. And I would it, also, you know, say, I'm not saying like, you know, uh, diversion magic as a, as a praxis only, you know what I mean? To, to uh, commune with the other, like this oh, would I totally obviously be in tandem with there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe less harmful, uh, even though that's hard, some people need them, uh, well, such as I did for a long time. But harmful pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. just is, you know. And but that's that's a great point that I think more people, I hope more people eventually become aware of, and I think more people are, is that these belief structures and the way that we commune with these aspects of our psyche and go about interacting with these physics of the psyche. Um, it's, it's, um, you know, it's so it's a fundamental part of the, the human experience in the long run. And in some sense uh, you're going to be doing it, whether you realize it or not. And that's why it's good to like learn the tools of the trade because um, you're on a moving train and like, if you're not conducting it, then someone else will be a proverbial. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. L- you know, learn what's going on and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, learn, um, you know, like you got to learn to separate the wheat from the chaff and, um, yep. yeah, I mean, that's really what it boils down to in the long run. And I really don't think that you can I think well, part of the reason that, um, you know, the shadow work is so crucial is the alchemical process denotes that you have to go about the purification process before you can really work with the light in a, in any sort of more purified way. Otherwise it's just going to be diluted. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, you know, it's, I, I just, it, it means, I think to me in a pragmatic sensibility to, you know, there's it's just uh, astounding the studies of, you know, people that are, you know, I don't know if it's just better science or if it's just, you know, loose gunned uh, diagnoses. But, um, you know, there's certainly we are all confined within this web of culture and identity, even online. And, you know, shit is affecting us in ways that we have never known before. You know, and uh, it's yeah, I just feel like it's important to like really survey just these modicums of, you know, social media, these, uh, you know, interpersonal dialogues on the Internet, these, uh, you know, less interaction with people given the last year. It just it's 
we are all under this, right? We're all under this this uh, sheer or like this veneer tarp uh, above it. And all of us are being affected differently. It's raining spiders in different ways, you know? Yeah. And like, I just, yeah, I just think it's important that we, instead of maybe as, as you say in dive manual, you know, like uh, especially speaking about the individuation process, maybe don't, you know, don't dive without being prepared, but also like right. work in tandem, right? With modern science. Absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, um, I'll leave. Um, I know you're familiar with it since you've read the book. I'll, so I'll leave the listeners with um, um, an anecdote that uh, just um, really ties it all together. Um, and it's the whole uh, phantoms in the brain, the, the whole phantom right. limb thing where, long story short people um uh, after studies done in the book phantoms in the brain by uh, vs ramachandran um it goes through a lot of different material but you know you, we learn that uh people who experience phantom limb whether through amputation or born without the limb that they'll experience this weird calloused phantom limb pain and that um through control methods we find that the majority of people can and will actually experience relief um, by reflecting the uh, by putting the reflection of their real limb into the place where their limb is missing and it's this definition of this heuristic sort of shamanistic um, uh, practice th uh, these methods in practice through the lens of the scientific method and people actually did receive especially going and exercising it like like you would go to the gym, people received lasting results and diminishment of the phantom limb and things. And there's other examples where you can see that dreams are very similar, where it's this almost sort of reflection, this projection highlight of, um, of intention inside you. And it's through this reflection process, we're able to animate ourselves in new ways that we weren't able to fulfill in our regular everyday life. And that's how psychedelics and art all these things, these like, quote unquote, transpersonal states of consciousness, the thing that allows you to get outside of the box in your head. Um, it, it really is highlighting these, um, these otherwise inanimate, but existent parts of your psyche. And a lot of it is, that's why like, sometimes the pageantry and uh, the theatrics and the like ritual and ceremony of these things is so crucial. Like it's all the steps that are so important. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, you've always been really good about that and erudite, you know, very dexterous, I think, with your vernacular, especially through dive manual to kind of reiterate that. Thanks. You thank know you what I mean? Much. And, uh, you know, for all of you listening, uh, thank you to Sixth Sense who put links in the chat. Yeah. Check it out. Uh, can you get dive manual on uh, paperback or like printed? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's actually um, on Amazon. You can get it um, in an ebook. You can get paperback. Or I actually was lucky enough. I don't know how it works, uh, but I was lucky enough to be selected um, for the uh, the the hardback beta. So you can oh. actually can get a hardback if you want. Um, so that's around. Um, but yeah, yeah. So you can get any three, and um, you can go and you know on DiveMind.net. I got a. Um, all the interviews that I've done thus far, I post them when they're, when they're recorded and released up there. Um, you know, you can find me on Twitter, uh, dive mind six, six, seven, um, or Facebook, Anthony Tyler. Like I'm, I'm always happy to engage in discourse with anybody. And, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, this is really what it's all about. It's cool to sell books. I mean, why wouldn't sure. it be cool? But I really, truly just love these conversations and and talking with like minded people and expanding on ideas. It's really it's uh, it's part of like the true zest of life, you know, so we would you. not be doing ourselves a service if we didn't talk about the forthcoming hunt manual, which is your next uh, book. So if you can give like a little rundown about that, we know Eric Millar of Outlet Press and We the Hollowed is doing the cover, which you couldn't have asked for a better cover artist. I agree. So you already win. Um, <laughs> But yeah, tell us more about just a little bit about Hunt Manual. Absolutely. So I really and I think this is also kind of like my Paishia nature in a way um, um, and the opposites. So Dive Manual is very much uh, uh, focused on um, self-development and like positivity, essentially, uh, through getting through some of the darker things um, that are sprinkled throughout. And Hunt Manual is kind of is going to be that flipped on its head. It's going to be an extension of Dive Manual, and it's going to be written in the same format essentially. But this is going to be mostly very dark, with with the uh, the end result being very light. Um, meaning that this is all instead of just um, touching on shadow work a little bit. This is going to be all about shadow work and. Um, I'm it's going to get a lot into overt demonology and I'm going to touch on, um, you know, 14 unexplainable phenomena a lot more because, um, you know, part of the pitch is like from my standpoint. And I think the evidence is very uh, glaring. The more you look into it, that a lot of this uh, 14 phenomena um, similar to mystical experience has a realism to it but realism isn't the right word it's like surrealism there's like a, a relevance to it but i'm not sure how physical these things are in the grand scheme and um regardless of of how physical they are what you can certainly say is that um all of this that we're talking about expelling tension through animation of these repressed aspects of our psyche um unexplainable phenomena in general certainly plays a component in that in shadow work and um it's uh you know just uh just as a cherry on top for, for example yeah um um it's uh this really is not just my idea it's something that's been kicked around for a while but hasn't been touched on fully but it really is the de uh the full meaning behind the def uh the definition of the title the mothman prophecies that john keel wrote about oh you know, yeah that was his that was his best guess as to what the mothman and all that unexplainable phenomena was it was some sort of basically shadow work collective projection of things that could have essentially served as like a genie in a bottle to other things and maybe part of this collective like psychical projection if you will actually attracted some things and we started getting some legitimate strange potentially metaphysical phenomena so food for thought yeah. guys food i love that thought. stuff i mean you know that's actually you were on a podcast recently uh we were chatting as you were a guest in the chat about the shared projection yeah oh and, i love uh, it i love it <laughs> oh uh jonaside asks lavenda finally acknowledged that he is simon thoughts do you know what he's talking about no, I don't know everything. Yeah. I don't know that one. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think it's uh Simon, was it Simon the something? I forget. Also, yeah, 
I'm happy, you know, listen, I'm happy to talk about UFOs till the sun comes up. I just feel like everyone's going to do that already. Like, let's just let more able-bodied, you know, understanding and uh, governmental uh, knowledgeable people <laughs> talk about the report that came out. So <laughs> thank yeah. you for yeah. us letting just, you know, taking a break. I said when you wrote that tweet, I was like, holy shit, Anthony knows me, man. He's like, he called that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I was feeling it too. Like, you know, um, people will at least see in Dive Manual very briefly that, um, you know, I've seen some weird flying things in the sky in Alaska, but I've never seen aliens. Um, and I, I really think it has a lot more to do with the stuff we talked about, a lot of like collective unconscious shadow work type things and yeah I think there could be a, um, a physical relevance to them um which is something i'm sure we'll get into a little more next time because that's like a whole different chunk of interesting material that's um, a whole thing yeah yeah but, oh uh, uh john is saying simon necronomicon um and real quick uh say roth my buddy stevie uh from scotland asked does any does anthony do evocatory magic at all um that would be um invoke and evoke yeah sometimes when i'm not looking evoke. at them i get them mixed up invoke would be um more like prayer right and then evoke would be more of like quote unquote like a evoke would be thing. commuting outside yeah invoke would be commuting inside yeah well this is something we can get to um more in the next conversation yeah. but i'd be happy to touch on it real quick what i do is um like I don't know, like mystical hypnosis, you know what I mean? I sit down in meditation and I, I go through cleansing and uh, my, my ceremony and ritual. And then I essentially, <clears throat> the point is to go through priming techniques to get yourself to this state of genuine animated suspended disbelief where you're, where in this, for lack of a better term, this transpersonal dream state, you're, you're allowing um, aspects of yourself to, communicate with you autonomously and as we'll probably get into next time i don't think that's where the trail of breadcrumbs ends i think projection is the first step and i think sometimes that can be where it ends and sometimes in deeper cases it's the kind of proverbial genie in the bottle for greater forces of nature and things yeah and that circles back to what we were talking about before you know uh just the communion as a whole and mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. what is the other is it outside is it inside probably Evo some of both yeah yeah uh anthony it is a pleasure people uh purchase dive mind hopefully he gets a hardback uh cover because oh, it's out there is... you can get a hardback oh you now. can Heck that's yeah, awesome yeah. I, I will i will get one as well awesome. um yeah look out for hunt manual i'm sure i'll talk to i don't know when your hunt manual is slated mm, definitely closer ready. to the end of the year so keep yeah, it out yeah but don't hold your breath yet um but I can okay, assure cool. you it's coming out. No, no question. Well, and I want to invite you to, if you want to post on We The Hollowed, you know, we have a big community, uh, international community of people posting journalistic articles and music and art and everything on it. Please send me anything you'd like. Um, I would love to post it. The only thing that ties it is, uh, you know, just a kind of uh journey into the metaphysical but it can be uh, a picture of your mom's car seat i don't awesome. care <laughs> wonderful um, i appreciate it man i'll definitely take you up on that and uh all right 
Thank you very much. You've been a very gracious host and this was very fun. And um, I appreciate you reading the book and all your kind words. And thanks for everybody of course, listening, man. Hey, we, uh, we got to stick together. Um, Absolutely. Really. Yeah. Really appreciate you. Take care and haunt on Anthony. Yeah. Likewise. Take care, everybody. Um,